Hello, and welcome to the 40 Drinks Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie McLaughlin. Today, I'm talking to Angie Simmons, who remembers the happiest time in her life being around when she was 30, 31, 32. She met and fell in love with her brother's best friend. They bought a house. They got married. They had a baby girl they named Summer. And then on the day after Summer's second birthday, Angie's life imploded when her brother, who was her best friend, was killed on his motorcycle while he was on his way to her house. That led to a bunch of dark years where Angie felt stuck in an endless loop of things not going well. She just couldn't see her way out. But a chance Facebook message from an old school friend and a single CD changed her life so much that 10 years later, when her mom died and she felt herself sliding into her old habits, she was able to process her grief and sadness in a much healthier way. So much so that she's ended up a published author and a mentor to others. Her story is pretty inspiring, but don't take my word for it. Let's meet Angie. Hi, Angie. Thanks so much for joining me on the 40 Drinks podcast. Hi, Stephanie. Great to meet you. Lovely to meet you as well. You are joining me from Bonnie Old England. Is that right? It is indeed. Yeah. I'm based in a mining town called Mansfield. Mansfield. Okay. And what part of the country is that in? It's near Nottingham, so I'm in the middle of it, Midlands we call it. The Midlands, all right, great. And I am based on the east coast of the United States, so just about an an hour north of Boston, so just across the pond from you. Yeah, not far at all. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. I think that you have a really amazing story, and I'm very excited to get into it. Mostly, I like to focus on turning 40. But for some conversations, we need to sort of compare and contrast moment. So let's go back to when you were roughly 30. You had told me that was the time when you were the happiest. So many wonderful things in your life. Tell me a little bit about that time. Absolutely. I'd met my younger brother's best friend, Conrad, and we instantly connected. You can imagine that was like a conversation of, oh, oh, he's got to speak to his best friend. I've got to speak to my brother. But I'm you know, glad to say that we ended up buying our first home and we got married and we had a beautiful baby girl called Summer. And actually, I was attending Knott's Trent University, which was a little bit of a shock to me because I left school with two qualifications in art. So for me to go to university was a, a little bit out of my comfort zone. But you know, I'd been in catering for years. It wasn't for me. So, you know, I've always loved animals. So I just thought, why not? Let's go to university. And what were and, you studying uh, there? I was studying animal management. I actually originally wanted to go into the zoos, but then found that trying to get into the zoo side of things was a lot harder. So I decided to work with cats and dogs. Lovely. So you're married, you have a beautiful home, you have a little girl, you're going to the university, you've got a career path picked out. Things are going really, really well. Then what? Then on the day after my daughter's second birthday, my life imploded, basically. Um, I will never forget the scream that left my mouth as I slid down the washer. When I received the phone call to tell me that my younger brother, my best friend, my husband's best friend, had just been killed on the road on the way to my house for a motorbike ride. And as I say, that that scream 
if I hear it on the TV or I hear it from another person, it takes me right back to that day, if I'm honest. And that day, it's left a scar on my heart that I'll never forget. I'll know it'll never heal. I'll never forget that day. Mm, that's terrible. And to be fair, the, the worst part about it all was it was me that introduced him to motorbikes. I used to live on the south coast myself. I decided to leave when I was very young because I wanted a career. When I came back, my younger brother was like, you can't have a motorbike and not me. So, and he was very, very competitive, <laughs> bless him. If I got a bigger bike, he had to have a bigger bike. If I was going five miles an hour, he had to go 20 miles an hour. So yeah, I, I went down the path of blaming myself, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, it's not something that I'm proud of, but I was already taking tablets for depression and anxiety, even though I've got things going really well. Life in the past had thrown me a bit of a curveball, as it does. Um, but yeah, I, because I didn't know how to deal with the grief and then the anger that came after that, because grief, you know, it comes out in all different ways. But as I say, I was blaming myself. So there was that guilt as well. And then the anger came in even more when other people decided that they were going to blame me too. So oh. this is when I added alcohol to the mix of tablets that I was already taking. It was just to try and quiet my mind because it was just on autopilot. Um, and it just, it did, it numbed me for a little bit. And um, yeah, so that was tragic in itself. I did what I always do and I get busy. I organised my brother's funeral. I was still carrying on with my studies. Um, I designed his gravestone, all the things just to try and, like I say, shut things out. They were the positive side, I suppose, not the negative side. But looking back, I didn't give myself that chance to grieve properly. And in 2009, I smashed the self-destruct button because on Boxing Day 2009, my brother's best friend and my husband also decided to leave. And I mm. don't blame him because where I was at that time, I wanted to leave, but just not in the way he did. All I could think about was with being with Tony. I'd even told myself that summer would be better off without me. Mm. Yeah, it was a very, very dark place. Very dark place. Oh, that's terrible. So after this tragedy, you had a couple of years of just struggling. And that's what led your husband. Was your husband, I'm sure your husband was struggling as well. I mean, you both had um, major losses. Yeah, just in his own way, I suppose. Um, mm. His idea of it was he was going to see him again. They can't change what's happened, so move on. Um, and me, I internalised that, that he didn't care. You know, the communication between us just broke down. You know, he, he was like, life goes on, let's carry on, let's do this. And come on, you need to get over this now. And it was like, how do you get over something like that? Um, and yeah, so that that's what happened. Mm -hmm. The communication was just broken. So your husband left... And for those of us on this side of the pond, Boxing Day is the day after Christmas. And then what happened? Well, like I just had to carry on. I just had to get on with things. So I went into the normal Angie mode of get busy. Start decorating the house, do up the house. I needed to get a full-time job to support myself. So I started working full-time as a kennel manager. 
thankfully for the university that I was able to get a well-paid job. The only problem with that was that this went on for years, um, was that I was never at home. My daughter was either at after school club or, you know, nursery or with the grandmas or my aunt, anybody that could have her, she was there with them. And that, that was also destroying me because I could see my daughter getting close. Although it's beautiful to see her with my mom, you know, my mother-in-law and auntie, and I knew she was safe. That was my job. I didn't want to be a mom that wasn't there. And she was also being picked on at school. And she was at the bottom of a class. She was very, very, very unhappy, very angry. You know, now looking back, I know why. She was just mirroring me, to be honest. With all the doing the house up and going out partying, because going out and seeing my friends when my daughter was with her dad or all that sort of stuff, I racked up a bit of a credit card bill and loans. I didn't see that coming at all until you get a credit card and you're, oh, it's all right, I'll pay X, Y, and Z off. And then you get another one to pay that off. And then £15,000 worth of debt. Oh. And so I was telling myself that there was nothing else I could do. I had to do that work to pay that credit card off. I actually started my own little dog grooming business just to help with that credit card. So, yeah, it, but at that time, it's... I couldn't see me being self-employed. I had to be employed. I had to have that money that was a definite to come in to pay my bills, to pay my credit card. So yeah, we, that just went on forever. What it felt like forever. It just exacerbated the spiral too, right? So you've got this debt that you have to pay. So not only do you need the full-time job, now you're doing part-time work on your own outside, which is more time you're not spending with your daughter making you unhappy which is making her unhappy but it just feels like there's no way out yeah yeah it felt like a bottomless pit that I was trying to claw myself out of and every time I thought I'd got a little bit further I was back down again you know my idea of an evening by the time I'd got home picked summer up from after school club got home fed summer fed the pets bath summer put her to bed there was no time and that's, you know, when I would sit and binge watch any TV I could watch and drink maybe a bottle or maybe two bottles of wine. Waking up first thing in the morning, running around like an absolute headless chicken because I've got to get the pets ready, get someone to race the traffic, to run around at work, to run back home. And it's just like, <sighs> and that, that was just, that was my life. And that lasted for quite a while, multiple years. It did. It did. And I, did, I didn't see it changing at all. And I think now looking back, it was because I got no belief in myself personally. Yeah. It sounds uh, not only exhausting, but also just from the outside, it sounds a little hopeless. Yeah, that is definitely a word I would have called how I felt hopeless. Wow. And a failure. I was brought up with three brothers. And I wanted to count for something. I wanted to be something. My dad was a boxing trainer. He was a fly fisherman. So he used to take the boys all the time. And I was at home cooking and cleaning, feeling like Cinderella. So I wanted that career. I wanted to feel proud of me and be somebody. 
And at that age, I'm like, I'm still not anybody or feeling mm. like anybody. So yeah, hopeless. And so this is really where you were when you turned 40 in this yes. part of the cycle. Absolutely. But as I like to say, and as I've seen over and over again in these conversations and in the people that I've been meeting, the time between 35 and 45 is a major time of transition in most people's lives. It doesn't always happen on your 40th birthday or because of your 40th birthday. It can happen earlier. It can happen later. And for you, you were 41 when your life changed. Absolutely it was. I'll never forget that day. Lights me up. In fact, you know, I talk about my brother and my daughter and I don't cry. I think of that day and it makes me cry. In fact, I've got goosebumps now. Mm -hmm. um, it makes me cry because it was such a sliding doors moment that I could have missed. And mine and my daughter's life. Wow, I'll be honest. I'm not sure if I'd still be here. Wow. And that's how bad I felt. So, yeah, this, this day just... I'll never forget it. I had a message from a friend that I went to school with. I'd not seen her in 20 years. Just a message in Facebook. How are you? How are you, babes? How's life? Wow. You know, I'd love to catch up. I'd love to have a coffee. Wow. So I was like, oh, okay. I'll go and have a coffee. But Stephanie, she told me she was a therapist. <laughs> so you can imagine. I just went, bleh. Oh, no. She had all everything crying anger she had the works chucked at her poor girl wanted a coffee <laughs> <laughs> and i ended up getting a therapy session um and she just said to me look you know you mentioned the debt and i was like yes you mentioned that you got no time i was like yes she went i might have something for you and i was like what what Pardon? no give it give it give give she wouldn't give it me she said i'm really sorry i need to show it you I'll get in touch with him when I get home and I promise we'll meet up again. You can imagine I really wanted to see what this lady had got that could get me out of that hopeless little place. So believe it or not, I am working full-time as a kennel manager and part-time as a dog groomer. She introduces me to another business. <laughs> you can imagine my face. I was like, I bet. Are you serious? Right. Are you right. really serious? I think I were a bit more explicit in my words at that particular point. Right. But right. What she said was, look, it's a unique opportunity. Listen to this CD on the way home. That's all I want you to do. Now, at this particular time, I was angry. I was listening to all my heavy thrash music. Anything that was angry, I'd listen to it. So she gives me this CD and I put it in the CD player and it's an American guy. And I was thinking, what is this stuff? She's talking about me being an entrepreneur. What the actual, I've got a dog grooming business that's earning me £200 a month. Entrepreneur, is she wired? <laughs> so I got in touch with her and I said, I don't understand why you've given me this CD or whatever. And she was like, right, okay, I need to show you this business model. And most people have probably heard of it. They might diss it. And that's absolutely fine to me. It was a game changer for me, a life changer. It's network marketing. She introduced me to this network marketing business that I was already a customer of, but didn't know there was a business side. 
So I was like, wow, so I can earn money from being this customer. She was like, yes. Wow, okay, give it a go, let's give it a go. What I didn't know was it's a personal development model. And it was personal development, that's what the CD was. It was about becoming an entrepreneur and getting into personal development. I remember my mum getting in the car and going, what is this brainwashing crap? <laughs> and I was like, look, you watch your news, it's fine. I want to listen to this because it's making me think differently. You see, she asked me to listen to it on the way home. But what I actually did do was listening to it on the way to work and then on the way back from work. So what I like to say, anytime these were busy and this got to walk, I was listening to audio. So I started listening to it when I was dog grooming, when I was just clipping the dogs. Started to make me really think. And I noticed that this stress was really taking over and I was really struggling with my emotions. So I asked my boss for two days off a month. And she said to me, how's the dog grooming business going? And I was like, well, it's sending me a couple hundred pound a month. Absolutely chuffed to pieces because it was paying my credit card off. Her response to that was, well, you need to decide whether it's your job or whether it's the dog grooming. Boom. And I looked at her and if I hadn't listened to the CD, I probably wouldn't have said what I said. So I've got to decide whether I've got to build you, your life, your business, and your future. Or I've got to decide whether I've got to build mine and my daughter's and our lives. Now, let me think. You'll have my resignation on the desk by the end of the day. And I walked out of the office and I walked around at work all that day going, what have you done? I drove home going, oh, I told my daughter. She was like, but mummy, the bills straight away. My family thought I'd gone mental. And I was like, no, 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 no. I am not building somebody else's future and my own internal prison no more so that was it I sacked the boss after listening to this CD for six weeks continuously and I thought if this can do that in six weeks what else can it do because I made that dog grooming business my full-time business within six months money-wise but I was still working part-time I was able to take Summer to school I was able to pick her up from school I was able to take her to sports day I was able to be there for her. That dream that I wanted had started to come to fruition just from that one CD. So I'm interested though, because you were in a place of being on that hamster wheel of debt and money and debt and money. What gave you the gumption to quit the job that was paying you most of the money? (laughs) I say it was that sentence that she said to me, that ultimatum that she gave to me. And I thought, well, if I don't, because she'd said my dog grooming, she didn't say business, but, you know, I was thinking, well, actually, it is my business. I've built this up. I've brought all the stuff. I've got the customers in. This is my business. And it was that turning point of if I didn't make a different choice, my life would have stayed the same. I didn't see what I was going to be able to do. I wasn't goal setting, far from it. I'd got no vision whatsoever, but I was running away from where I'd been. 
And she gave you this ultimatum after you asked for two days off a month. Yes. After telling her that my mental health was starting to plummet. Right. Right. So this was really a leap of faith. Yeah. Was it even a leap of faith? Did you even have faith at that point or was it just a leap? No, it's not a leap of faith. It was a, I'm done. I am done. (laughs) It was just, you know, I was running around like an headless chicken for this woman going above and beyond, going in early sometimes, staying a bit late sometimes. And, you know, that's how much I meant to her. You know, that she could not have given me that extra two days knowing what my life was like with my daughter and the stress. Yeah, it was just, I've had enough. (laughs) So, yeah, there was no leap of faith because I didn't know what was going to happen. I just thought, do it. Just do it. This CD that you had been listening to for six weeks, it was the same CD, right? It was just one CD. You just kept listening to it over and over again. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And it was just telling you things that were different than how you thought. Definitely. Like there was a couple of really key takeaways that I took from there. But the biggest one was from a guy called Jim Rowan. And he said, for things to change, you've got to change. Things to get better you got to get better. And I was like, how the chuffing heck am I going to do that? Mm-hmm. And then it was, yeah, listening to that. You see, I didn't know what it was doing to me, but I didn't know what it was doing to my daughter either. Because at one point I decided to change the CD and I got told quite quickly to put it back in. By your daughter? Because she wanted to listen to Mr. Part-Time Man. And I was like, wow, this has done this to me after all these years of being what I call programmed, you know, all the stuff that's given to us that are not ours. If it can do, what is it going to do to a nine-year-old girl who's not got all them imprints? Yeah, huge. Wow. So tell me about dog grooming after you left your full-time job. What happened then? Well, it was um, make it or break it, to be honest. I was like, right, I'd already got all my equipment and stuff. So I just literally spoke to my customers. Do you know anybody? Then I used Facebook, Facebook pages for sale sites. I've got one little thing and, uh, and I just kept putting that up, putting that up constantly two or three times a day. And yes, within six months, I was fine. Within six months, you were making the same money that you had made before. Combined. But combined from both jobs. Yeah. And you were working less. Yes. And being able to support my daughter. Hi, this is where I usually interrupt to ask you to look down at your phone and either rate or share the podcast. And I'd still love it if you did that. But what I'm really more interested in is getting to know you and hearing your feedback and any comments you have about these interviews. Let's make that process easy. Send me a voice note, either by email or on one of the socials. Email it to stephanie at 40drinks.com. That's 40 spelled out. I want to hear what you think, positive or constructive. And you never know, I might even use it in an upcoming episode. All right, let's get back to Angie, who's just about to hit us with a fantastic morsel for when you're feeling scared of the unknown. I know a lot of people that just get so scared of the unknown, but if anything I can share with them, just take that leap or just trust in somebody that believes in you. You have to borrow somebody else's belief. And that is what I was starting to do because my friend, she had belief that I could be an entrepreneur. The people that I started associating with, 
had belief in me. And I was like, right, well, if you can believe in me, then I need to believe in myself. And that's what I started doing, working more on me. And in that other quote, uh, you know, I mentioned one from Jim Rand. The other one was work harder on yourself than you do on your job. And I was like, right. And I took those two quotes and I thought, right. So, yeah, it, just one CD. I've got loads now. I've got hundreds oh, of audio, books, everything now. Right. I love what you said a moment ago. You said, if you can't believe in yourself yet, borrow somebody else's belief. Absolutely. It's what I talk to my clients about when they're having that lack of belief. I'm looking outside in. I can see what you've got. Sometimes we can't see what we've got inside ourselves, but Mm -hmm. it's all in there. We just need Mm -hmm. somebody to support us, to help us see it. And that's what I started surrounding myself with, people that were seeing that in me. It's interesting because as you were doing this personal development, this personal growth work, I'm guessing that lots of elements of your life are changing. You just named one. You're surrounding yourself with different people. Absolutely. I hardly drink now. As I say, I used to drink to numb my brain. I drink now to socialize with my friends and be happy. And sometimes I don't even want to do that. I mean, I want to be happy with my friends. Sometimes I don't even want to drink. Right. So it, it was a, a necessity at the time. Right. It was um, medication. Yeah. Yeah. Self-medicating. Yep. Things have totally beyond, beyond my wildest dream. Put it that way. So your early 40s are a time of wild transition because you're growing into a completely different person based on exposing yourself to new thoughts and ideas. Yeah. And then a few years later, there was another tragedy in your life. Talk about that. Yeah. Like I said, I'd taken control of my life. The drinking had more or less stopped. I was doing my dog grooming part-time. I was working on that other business part-time. So I'd got two part-time jobs. I was earning a little bit more money. And I didn't know who this work would enable me to become. And I definitely didn't see what I was able to overcome because in February again, my poor daughter, she hates her birthday, bless her. The 3rd of February, 2018, my mum suddenly died from cancer and everything started again. The same people started again. I started again in the getting busy. Um, And I wasn't drinking as much, but I'd noticed it was slowly creeping in. Um, And I was very worried, extremely worried that I was going to go back to that person that I was. You see, sometimes we're working on ourselves. We don't see all the stuff that's happening. But if we don't keep up that work, we can quickly fall back. Like I said earlier, it takes so long for you to get to where you are now. It doesn't happen over a month. And I know a lot of people, oh, I've read a book, I've read a CD, I've done this. I've read hundreds, I've listened to thousands. Of, the amount of hours I put into my inner work now is just unbelievable. Whereas I didn't even have five minutes for myself not long ago. But mm-hmm. when my mum passed away, it was... <laughs> have you heard of the cartoon character Batfink? No. No! Oh, wow. No. <laughs> right, so an old counting character, 
called Batfink, and he, he's a bat, and they used to turn around, and he, he was going against the villains, and he were like, my wings are like a shield of steel, your bullet's gonna harm me. That's how I felt. I felt like I got a bit of a shield around me, you know, a steel shield around me, but some bullets were getting through. I knew I needed more. I wasn't sure what it was, but I knew I needed more. The insight, knowing that I was able to get through a lot of it without faltering, was when I realised the full sentence, no. People don't understand it is a full sentence. Protecting your peace, yourself from others is paramount to your own health and well-being. Literally, when those other people started, again, I just went, no. And that was it. No. I'm not going here again. The last time I made excuses for you, this time there is no excuse. I just left the funeral parlour. I just um, picked up the death certificate when I got that call. So you can imagine my emotions were everywhere. And it mm -hmm. was literally no. And I just put the phone down. And I've not spoken to them since. Wow. And that's family. So my thing, you know, what I talk to people about a lot is your family don't have to be blood. They're the people that elevate you. The people that support you in life. Not the drainers, what I call the mood hoovers. The people that keep pulling you back to that old life, that getting drunk and sitting and watching TV and not serving you. It's the people that elevate you, the people that give you their essence to support you. Mm. Sometimes the people who are around us, whether it be our family or our friends from, you know, way back from our formative years, sometimes they're invested in keeping us who we were because it's comfortable for them. They like the situation. They like the interaction. And so when we grow when we evolve we get a lot of pushback on that because they want you back in that comfortable place mm. you were experiencing some of that absolutely the, you know that cd that i talked about there was an analogy and i shared this with somebody the other day and they went i have never heard of that it was an analogy between crabs and humans that they're both same apart from one lives on land and one lives in the water so when the fisherman puts the net out in the basket, all the crabs jump in for all the food. When there's no food, they want to get back out. And when the ones that want to get out keep trying, the other crabs will pull them back in. And they will actually eventually kill the crab if it doesn't stop. So I look at that now and, you know, humans don't go around killing people because they're changing, hopefully. But they, they are literally killing your dreams by pulling you back into that life for their yeah. own comfortableness. Yep. But it's interesting because it does take an injection of a different point of view, because sometimes had you not listened to that CD, had you not had coffee with your friend, that would have remained comfortable for you. Yeah. And not comfortable in a good way, like a great seat on a couch, but comfortable in a, this is easy. This is the way it is way. Yeah. But that's what my life was worth. That was yeah, comfortable. I didn't for one minute ever think that things could change. But yeah, that was my comfortable. And I took the uncomfortable action, which is scary. <laughs> mm -hmm. But when we take that uncomfortable action to move forward, our lives can be limitless. Because we then we start believing in ourselves. Yeah. What I love about your story is that at the beginning, you had 
one thing. You had one CD and you just listened to it over and over again. I bet after a couple of weeks, you could recite it. You knew what was coming next, but still it was just sinking into your head, sinking into your heart, sinking into your being this different way of thinking, this different way of approaching life. So that when your boss gave you that ultimatum, you were able to separate yourself from your current life and see that that wasn't okay. Mm. Yeah. And without that CD, you wouldn't have been able to. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. One, and you know, one, one CD, one slide indoors moment, one step forward which compounded massively into other things. And I think sometimes a lot of people, we're, we're just so busy. We're like those busy ants that we don't see the opportunities that are right in front of us. And I'm grateful that that CD allowed me to see that opportunity. Yeah. For those people who haven't seen the wonderful movie, Angie has said a couple of times she's had sliding door moments. I highly recommend you go back and watch the Gwyneth Paltrow movie, Sliding Doors. It is such a great movie. Probably, I don't remember, or mid to, mid-2000s, early 2000s. But it's just a great illustration of the way life can change when you walk through a door or when you don't walk through a door. So tell me about now. When you look back now, what do you think? Wow. <laughs> How do I feel now? I am proud. I've got belief in myself. Mm -hmm. um, I'm excited for my future. Things are just totally different now. First and foremost with Summer, just looking at Summer. Oh, she's still got the temper. She's never going to get rid of that. She's 17, <laughs> so she's hormoning. She knows everything. She's never going to get rid of that. And unfortunately, <laughs> kids don't come with a freaking man reel. I wish they did. Or an off button, but they don't. But I look at her and I just go, God, she's like me. Apple doesn't fall, fall far from the tree. But she followed her dream. She wanted to become an actress. She's been on the West End twice. COVID put a stop to that. But what she's been doing since then and working towards is a singing career. Her voice, wow. Um, and she's decided that when she leaves, she's going to London to drama college. She walked out with school with four A's and two A stars and now doing her A-levels. And that girl does not get bullied one out. <laughs> what I didn't share was when I found out that she was getting bullied, we both went to kickboxing. Not only did it help us both get fit, but also look after ourselves, but that was also great because it was enabling us both, without realizing at the time, getting that aggression out. Confidence yeah. in your body and being able to stand up for yourself. That's amazing. Yeah, it, it did, because I'd put a lot of weight on as well. Not realizing that that wasn't affecting me mentally. So when I started losing the weight, I was like, oh, check me out. <laughs> I've fluctuated as you do, especially as you get older. So now I have still got my dog room in business, but it's very, very part time. And I still do the other networking business that's earning me a residual income. I've got another one besides that that's earning me a residual income, which is great because I want them to replace the dog grooming and they're getting there. As I said earlier, I hardly drink now. When my brother passed away, actually, I lost a lot of my spiritual connection and my oneness. When my mum passed away, it opened again. 
which was quite bizarre. And mm. I think that I learned a lesson from the, her funeral because of the way she wanted to be buried, who with, and she didn't care. She did because she thought she wasn't loved, but the amount of people that turned up to her funeral was phenomenal, Stephanie. We actually closed off three manning villages with the entourage. And this woman thought that people didn't care. Mm. But when I saw that, I just thought, wow, wow. She was true to herself. And I knew that I needed to be true to me, to myself. Me, dog grooming, my other businesses. And then through my path of self-discovery and recovery, I'd heard about journaling. I didn't get it. Honestly, I did not get it. I was like, what are you talking about? I haven't got time to sit there writing. This is why I used to listen, because I was always busy. I did actually start reading a couple of pages of a book a day, but it was literally a couple because I didn't have time. But yeah, journaling. Right, okay. In my mum's effects, I found what I call my golden gem, another sliding doors moment, because I could have just tossed that with everything else. My mum, love her, miss her, bless her. She had a council house and she was a creator of her own life. In other words, she was a hoarder. She never threw anything away. And I don't know if you know, you have two weeks to clear a council house. So I'd got oh. all the looking after summer because she was grieving, my brothers, my dog roommate, all this, and organising this funeral. So getting busy, getting busy again. So I noticed these patterns and I was like, this golden gem was her diary. She'd never, well, she'd put two little thingies in it, two little entries. In a way to keep a connection with her, I started using it. I started writing down in the morning, a little couple of sentences, and then I started writing down in the evening. And I was monitoring three key actions. I noticed how much that one little thing was now helping me again. So I went to find a journal that I could use that I could implement my daily steps that I'd been using up till then, I could find one. So in 2009, I became a published author of my own unique year-long undated journal. And I never thought that was possible, ever. Me, author. <laughs> but it was just out of that tragedy came possibilities for me to see how much further I could grow and how much I could help other people. Mm. which I'm doing now, and it's my absolute passion, and I love it. It was through lockdown that things shifted a little bit for me, with, you know, obviously I shut the dog grooming business down, and then I just decided, right, I'm going to become a qualified coach, I'm going to design my own mentoring programme, and I've got big, scary goals now that I'm working towards, whereas you'd have asked me, oh, yeah, I, haven't got a, I haven't got a goal. My only goal was get home and open that bottle of wine. Thank you very much. But now mm -hmm. I have got lots and lots and lots of goals. And I, as I say, I'm excited and very proud of myself. And yeah, for all the stuff that we've done. Wow. That is an amazing story and such an amazing transition from in the rat race and hopeless and stuck to just absolutely thriving and inspiring other people it's i'm really really amazed and impressed with your accomplishments i'm proud of you thank you and we've only just met <laughs> bless you tell me a little bit about the journal how is it different than what you found out there what did you need a journal to be able to do for you that you wanted to create your own right so I couldn't find a year-long one for a start. 
and I wanted something that was structured because one of the things I found when you try and achieve something, having some sort of structure helps you get there quicker. Mm -hmm. So I wanted some sort of structured journal. I wanted to dedicate it to my mum as well. That was another reason. And I wanted to bring in the aspects of all the stuff that I've been doing, the reading, listening, so I can monitor my daily thoughts, feelings and my actions. Because your thoughts affect how you feel, how you feel affects how you act. So I started monitoring my thoughts and my feelings. I was looking at what I was grateful for. I wanted to write down whether I was meditating and what I was getting from it. My affirmation for the day, what was my priorities. And then celebrating every single day those little small daily wins that compound yeah. into the results that we want. It's inspired by nature as well because I'm a very earthy person. Um, and it was really strange because in my mum's diary I saw the moons, the different cycles of the moons, and I thought, hey. And when you ask, the answer does come if you're present. So I'd say, what are the moons there for? Two weeks later, I ended up in a moonology class. Oh, that's why they're there. <laughs> so now I, I'm helping others achieve their goals through the moon and the zodiac, which I've learned since mum passed away, which I've studied knowing the grit. And it's just, yeah, because I think a lot of people just think it's this meat soup, but it's not. There's so much more to be felt, to be seen, to be heard than what the meat suit gives us does that make sense it does so yeah that that the, the journal it's not small is it okay if i show it yes and as a matter of fact we'll include a link somewhere for people to i show be it because it. of the size of it it is not something small yep so it's yep. a year long undated structure it's it's my program that i deliver in a yep. journal to keep people yep. Yep. accountable to themselves because if you say you're going to do something, you don't do it, you stop beating yourself up. So if you're going right. to write stuff in it, you've got to do it. So that's one of the reasons why yeah. I make myself accountable. <laughs> yeah. I love how on the cover it said, how am I feeling today? Mm. That also feels like an easy way in, mm. right? It doesn't, you're, you're not setting the bar so high that you have to do X, Y, and Z. No. It's just, how am I feeling today? Yeah. One simple question. So many people don't ask that question because they're not present with how they're feeling. They're just doing. Or that they, they don't, don't really to, want to acknowledge the yeah. answer. Or they don't want to feel it, yeah. And I'll be honest, yep. I have had some really dark times going through my journey when I was alone. Because mm -hmm. what I've realised, sitting and being with my thoughts, those feelings, those horrible thoughts, those horrible feelings, and processing them, wow. The more clarity you gain is priceless. Yeah. I, I heard somebody say to me years ago about being alone. I'm not a lonely person. I'm not a loner. I'm a full out yellow play and all that sort of stuff. So me being on my own, whoa, that's scary. But it's been so powerful. But yeah, yeah, just how am I feeling today? That's great. Angie, I'm so happy that you were able to join me today. This conversation has been wonderful. Your journey is amazing. Tell me before we go where people can find you online if they're interested in checking out what you're doing. Oh, thank you so much, Stephanie. I am on LinkedIn as Angie Simmons. I'm on Instagram 
and Facebook at Growth Development Foundation. And I've also got a website, which is www.growthdevelopmentfoundation.co.uk. Wonderful. And I'll include those links when the episode gets posted. So Thank you. I appreciate that, my love. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed meeting Angie as much as I did. One thing I thought was really interesting was that Angie started listening to that CD without realizing or knowing that it would change her life. In fact, if someone had told her that it would, she probably would have been a little too overwhelmed to start. And that's really the way it was with my 40 Drinks project. I embarked upon that project because it was ridiculous and outrageous, not because I thought it would change my life. And in fact, if you had told me that it would change my life, I probably wouldn't have been so excited about it would have seemed more like work than fun. And maybe that's one of the hints here among all these 40 stories. All right, next week, you'll meet James, who thought he had life figured out. Then he turned 40, and before he knew it, everything was different. His career, his long-term relationship, his friends, and even his home and lifestyle. He's learned that life is a journey and not a destination. And while that is a slogan we've all heard a million times, for James, the experience is something else entirely. The 40 Drinks Podcast is produced and presented by Savoir Faire Marketing Communications.